Welcome to the audio version of Faith Magazine. This is Katie Hamel, the creative editor. I hope you enjoy listening to these inspiring stories from around our diocese. If you'd like to read the stories online, please visit salinadiocese.org. Chapter 8, Why Bread and Wine? Many Catholics may take it for granted that bread and wine are used at Mass, specifically wheat bread and grape wine. But have you ever considered why? The first and perhaps most obvious reason is the example of Christ himself. As we know from the Gospels, Christ, when instituting the Eucharist at the Last Supper, used bread and wine. And in keeping with the customs of his day, he would have used wheat bread and grape wine. Therefore, in imitation of him, we too use these kinds of bread and wine. However, there is some deeper symbolism at play here. To begin with, bread and wine are the most common forms of food and drink used by various cultures throughout the world. Furthermore, wheat bread is the most common form of bread, and grape wine is the most common form of wine. So rather than being something unique to one culture or ethnic group, there is instead something universal about them. On a related note, bread is made from many grains of wheat, and wine is made from several grapes. The bringing together of many grains or many grapes into one substance symbolizes one of the primary effects of the Eucharist, which is to bring about unity. Through reception of the Eucharist, we are brought into union not only with Christ, but with each other. Though we are many, we become one body in Christ. Additionally, when looking at bread and wine, one can perhaps see a similarity in appearance between them and flesh and blood. It takes little imagination to envision wine as blood, and the substantial nature of bread can easily be seen as representing the substance of flesh. Another reason for the use of bread and wine comes from the scriptures, where we read that the Lord gave wine to gladden the heart of man and bread to strengthen man's heart. Bread has the ability to sustain us and give us strength, just as the body of Christ gives us the spiritual nourishment necessary on our journey through life. And just as wine has the ability to cheer us, so too does the blood of Christ bring us joy and gladness. Lastly, there is rich symbolism to be found in the actual process of making bread and wine, which both require the ingredients to be broken down and crushed. The grains of wheat are ground up into flour and the grapes are pressed. This serves as a symbol of Christ's passion in which he himself was crushed for our iniquity. While this explains the use of bread and wine, there is one more element used in the Eucharist that needs to be examined, water. You have likely noticed that at Mass, after the priest has poured wine into the chalice, he adds a small drop of water. As he does so, he quietly prays, By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. The first reason this is done is, again, an imitation of Christ. In keeping with the custom of his day, wine would have been cut with water before consumption. Secondly, the water and wine serve as a symbol of the blood and water that poured from Christ's side upon the cross, thus serving as yet another reminder of his passion. But most importantly, the mixture of the water and the wine, as the priest's prayer suggests, represents the bringing together of humanity and divinity in Christ. The water, symbolizing humanity, is integrated into and becomes part of the wine, which symbolizes divinity. This then serves as a symbol of the pledge of eternal life, 
as by our reception of the Eucharist, we are given a share in Christ's divine life. Chapter 9. My God would not lie to me. What is the Eucharist? Many people wonder what the Eucharist is, and many people think it is just a symbol. They think the Eucharist is just a piece of bread that symbolizes God, but it is not. It makes my heart very sad that so many Catholics do not believe in the Eucharist. In 2019, the Pew Research Center did a study on how many Catholics believe in the Eucharist. Less than 33% of people who identify as Catholics said they believe in the Eucharist. That means more than 66% of Catholics do not believe in the Eucharist. How can this be? How can they not believe in the Eucharist? It is the source and summit of the Christian life. And somehow, there are Catholics who, no, who do not believe? How is this? I want to share with you what the Eucharist is, and then I want to tell you why I believe. First, the Eucharist is the most important and most precious sacrament. It is the source of our faith. Second, the Eucharist is a sacrifice. It is the body and blood of Christ. He died so that we may be saved from sin and death. The Eucharist is His sacrifice. Third, the Eucharist is the meal that Jesus feeds us. Jesus tells us in Scripture that He will feed us with the bread of life. The Eucharist is the bread of life that Jesus feeds to us. He wants us to take and eat, so that we might be made one with Him and saved from sin and death. So this is what the Eucharist is. But why do I believe? First, I believe in the power of God. God is God. He can do anything. He created everything around us out of nothing. He made you and me. He made every blade of grass and the clouds. He made rain. He made the animals and the fish. If he made all these things out of nothing, then why not make bread into his body and wine into his blood? Second, I believe the word of Jesus. If he says, this is my body and this is my blood, why should I be hesitant to believe it? My God would not lie to me. If he said it is so, so be it. If you believe in him, you have to believe what he says. Third, I believe because Jesus never compromised his teaching. When he said to the crowds that his body was the bread of life, many people left him. They did not believe what he said. When the people were leaving him, did Jesus call out and say, No, no, I am just kidding. Come back. I just meant it was a symbol. No, he did not say that. They all left him, and instead Jesus turned to his disciples and asked if they would leave too. And they did not leave. They believed. Just like I believe. I love the Eucharist. It is the best gift that God gives to us. I hope that all Catholics everywhere will one day believe in the Eucharist. Chapter 10, A Model of Love When I face the task of preparing my son for his first Holy Communion, I'm intimidated. How can I teach him the monumental truth that the Eucharist is the source and summit of Christian life? Being united to Jesus in his flesh and blood is a huge deal. As my son grows, I see him watching and imitating what I do. And if I want my second grader to know and love Jesus, then I have to show him that I know and love Jesus. Being a good example doesn't mean I have to have it all figured out, but it does mean that I can be intentional. As my son prepares to meet his Eucharistic Lord, I can show him what it looks like to worship God with my actions, love God with my words, and choose God with my will. Worship with our actions. As Catholics, we have many external signs of reverence and devotion. These signs are meant to express the reality of God and in doing so, worship Him. Unfortunately, it's easy for these signs to become meaningless habits, 
But if we pause and practice making these signs of faith slowly and reverently, we show our children how to worship God. When we go into church, do we genuflect with a posture reflecting the reality that we come before our King? In the moments before receiving our Savior as the Eucharist, do we bow with true reverence? Do we make the sign of the cross meaningfully every time? When we return to our pew after communion, do we kneel quietly with our head bowed, keeping our focus on Jesus present within us? It may take extra effort, but by slowing down and being intentional, our gestures become true acts of worship, and our children will notice. Love with our words. When we love someone, we use our words to tell them. Children are experts at this. And if we love Jesus, we can model our love by speaking simple prayers aloud, especially before Christ's Eucharistic presence. Our words do not need to be fancy or complicated. If in doubt, go simple. When arriving at an empty church or an adoration chapel, try whispering, Hello, Jesus, and goodbye, Jesus, as you arrive and depart. Or when you hear the bells at consecration, try whispering with your children, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. Whatever the occasion, let your children hear you pray out loud in simple ways. They will see your love and follow it to their Lord. Choose with our will. Each day we decide our priorities. Our children see our priorities too. If we want our children to prioritize God, we have to prioritize Him, especially in the Eucharist. Are we unwaveringly faithful to our Mass obligation? even when we don't feel like going? Do we go to adoration with our children? Even a five-minute stop at a Catholic church to pray before Jesus in the tabernacle will be a memorable event. If we choose God and strive to make Him a priority, we show our children who is at the center of their life. Our children see how we live. If we build our life around God and intentionally show our children we build a foundation of Christ in their souls. Our example will make an impact in our children's lives forever and help prepare their hearts to receive the ultimate gift of love, Jesus himself as Eucharist. So let us love the Lord every day and show our little ones the way. Chapter 11, St. Peter Julian Nymard. Apostle of the Eucharist, 1811 to 1868, feast day. August 2nd, the founder of the Congregation of the Blessed Sacrament and the Servants of the Blessed Sacrament, St. Peter Julian Aymard, was influential in restoring the Church after the French Revolution. Devoted to Jesus in the Eucharist, his promotion of regular Mass participation and prayer in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament continues to inspire Catholics around the world today to be apostles of the Divine Eucharist. Found standing on a stool in front of the tabernacle in his parish church after he wandered off, Five-year-old Peter told his panicked sisters, I am here listening to Jesus. Despite the family's poverty, serious illness, and his father's resistance, Peter was ordained to serve the Diocese of Grenoble at age 23. As a young priest, Peter was influenced by the Jansenist focus on human sinfulness. After joining the Society of Mary, the Marists, Peter developed a spirituality more focused on Christ's love for humanity. An intense experience during a Corpus Christi Eucharistic procession inspired Peter to want to bring all the world to the knowledge and love of our Lord, to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Eucharistic. 
Leaving the Marists in 1856, he established the Congregation of the Blessed Sacrament for Men, devoted to Eucharistic adoration and to evangelizing those who were estranged from the church. Members of the community ministered to poor workers in Paris, providing housing while preparing the workers to return to communion and preparing their children for First Communion. In 1858, with Marguerite Guillot, Peter founded the Servants of the Blessed Sacrament, a contemplative congregation for women and later an association of the laity. Before his death in 1868, Peter experienced a mystical communion with Christ while on a retreat in Rome. Quoted as saying, You take communion to become holy, not because you already are. Peter's insistence on the importance of receiving frequent holy communion to appreciate Christ's love impacted the church teaching into the next century. He was declared venerable in 1908, was canonized in 1962, and later named Apostle of the Eucharist by Pope John Paul II. Chapter 12 Dear Readers of Faith What does the Eucharist mean to me? I address this question to Catholics throughout the diocese, and now as I reflect and try to come up with my own answer, words fail me. I remember a time when I was immensely struggling emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. It was my senior year of college, right before finals and my senior comprehensive exams. And at that time, my little sister was in the hospital. She had been in a car accident and suffered from a broken neck and a brain bleed. And the doctors told my family to brace ourselves for the worst. I reeled. I thought my little sister was going to die, and I couldn't process it. It wasn't computing. I felt untethered from a reality that I wanted no part of. I took some time off school to be home with my family. Upon returning, I wandered campus in a detached haze, my phone an extension of my arm as I jumped at every notification, dreading the words I would read. I went to the Adoration Chapel and wept silently screaming in my own personal hell as I sat among the other adorers. And one day in prayer, I closed my eyes, and it felt as though my world started to spin. Spinning and spinning, everything around me was out of my control. Faster and faster, the realities of my life whipped around me, and I spun with them, untethered and uncontrollably spiraling. And then suddenly, abruptly, the spinning stopped. And when I looked up, directly in front of my eyes was the Eucharist. And in that moment, a great warmth showered itself upon me, and I felt peace. And I stayed in our Lord's presence for as long as I could that night and I let myself rest in his peace. My sister beat the odds, she is alive and well, and for that I am grateful. But I still think about that night in adoration, and when I think about what the Eucharist means to me, the Eucharist is my anchor, my lifeline. The Eucharist keeps me grounded in truth, even when the rest of my world is outside my control. The Eucharist anchors me, Christ anchors me. The Eucharist is my anchor. What does the Eucharist mean to you? Thanks for listening to From the Heart. Please subscribe and remember to tune in next time where you'll hear more stories across the Diocese of Salina.